Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast. My name is Daniel Lowry, and I'm writing solo for this episode. This season, we are focusing on stories from the field, speaking with practitioners of mission and gospel movement in the world. For this episode, we have the privilege of Andrew Mador joining us. Andrew has been starting and leading house churches for the last 15 years. And during this time, he also lived in Uganda for seven years, where he led Discovery Bible Studies and started New Expressions of Church. He and his wife, Carrie, currently serve with Ignite Colorado, a ministry of pioneering initiatives. They lead ministry efforts in two missional spaces in their region, Heron's Nest, an RV and Fifth Wheel community, and Apple Tree Trailer Park. Andrew has been married to Carrie for 12 years, and they have a daughter, Haven, who is age five. They currently reside in Newcastle, Colorado. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, so good to have you, man. So good to have you. We're excited to share with people your story. My apologies, Kristen couldn't make it for this recording. We own a business, and uh, we had one of our employees decide, you know, they didn't need to work today. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, when you own the business, you know, you can't call Uber to bring in a replacement. Right. So she had to go in and, and take care of some of that. So anyway, she says, hi, thank you so much for our listeners. She'll be on next time. So unfortunately, the cute bubbly blonde is not here. You have the old grumpy husband. That's a, <laughs> that's a part of this one. So Andrew, but let's get going. We've been starting all these episodes with kind of a funny outreach story, something that happened to you. So uh, do you have one for us? Yeah, yeah. I've got a story. It was funny for for me. I don't know how funny it'll be for everybody else. But (laughs) this is when we were in Uganda. You know, we uh, would start storytelling groups because the the people group we lived amongst was uh, was not literate. So, you know, we started these churches that were just storytelling groups. We're telling Bible stories and we would just sit under the tree, real traditional kind of society. Uh, people would either sit on their shoes or we'd sit on these little stools that are like four, six inches, something like that. So everybody's like kind of basically squatting in a big circle. And we probably had about uh, 30 people this day in a huge circle. You know, we get going, I kind of, um, uh, and it, most of these are believers at this point. So it's basically church, you know, we're doing church, we're singing songs. We sit down to do the story. And something you got to know about the society is it's very important that when somebody walks up to a group, they shake everybody's hand. So if you're sitting with, you know, if you're talking with eight people and one of them's friend walks up and nobody else knows him, he's still going to shake everybody's hand, right? So this would happen even in a group setting. So there'd be 30 of us, and this was real normal every week. So there'd be 30 of us, you know, sitting here and somebody new would show up late and they'd walk around the whole circle shaking everybody's hands as you go. Shake, shake hands, shake hands. It became normal, you know, and so it wasn't all that distracting, right? So this particular day, we're sitting down, we're kind of getting in the middle of the story and this elderly gentleman walks up to come and start shaking everybody's hands. Something else you should know is that the men in this society wear a blanket, kind of like the Maasai from uh, Kenya and uh, Tanzania, if you've ever seen them, where they just basically wear a blanket only, and they don't wear, the men don't wear anything else underneath the blanket. Uh, and traditionally, they didn't even wear the blanket. And so they're very comfortable with male nudity, real common. And so this gentleman... Hey, this is a PG show. Yeah, yeah I'll keep it clean. I'll try to keep it clean. Okay. I'll try to keep it clean. <laughs> But it's not that clean. This gentleman walks up, uh, elderly gentleman, and today they can wear the blankets however they want. Today he's wearing his blanket basically like a Superman cape. And so, and he's the he's the oh, elder no. of this village. So everybody else knows this guy. He's like their grandpa and stuff. So for them, it's like totally normal. So he starts going around shaking hands, you know, and everybody else, everybody's totally unfazed. You know, he comes around to me and here's this guy, very nice elderly gentleman, I know for a long time. And I mean, all he's wearing nothing but a cape. You know, and we're sitting down and he comes and shakes hands. And so I'm like, so I got to play it off. Like, yeah, this is totally normal. This happens to me all the time. So I just shake his hand and <laughs> avert my eyes. I'm looking at the dirt and he finishes the circle and we, we keep right on with church. Nobody else. This is normal. This is normal life, you know, so you got to roll with it, I guess. I think this is what the church in the West is missing. A little bit of nudity in church, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did not say that. I did, that Dan. Dan said that. <laughs> yeah. This is what happens when Kristen's not here. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome, man. So yeah, man. That's like being in the gym, right? You got to keep your yeah, eyes up. Yeah, exactly. Keep your eyes up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Fabulous, man. Thank you so much. So far, you win for best story. We'll see. We'll see. But so far, you got a good one. So, Andrew, this season, these series of episodes, we're, we're really focusing on stories from the field, actual practitioners, people who are out there, you know, bringing the kingdom, not necessarily professionals, so to speak, everyday people uh, that love Jesus, that have families, that have other, you know, occupations, vocations, whatever it is. And so I think you and I met officially at a gathering up in Idaho and I had an opportunity to hear your story and kind of what you guys are doing in a trailer park in a fifth wheel community. And I thought, man, we got to share this guy's story with the world, you know? So let's get started. Tell me a little bit about kind of how, where you came from, how you got, you know, into mission, you know, what God has been doing in your life. Without boring you with too many of the details, I'm originally from Texas, and when I was a bit younger, I was, I was a youth minister really early. I was going to college and doing youth ministry at the same time when I was about 18, 19, and 20. And, you know, during that time, I was reading the book of Acts at one point, you know, and I saw this really vibrant church in the book of Acts that was sharing each other's possessions, but then also growing and having an impact on their community. And, uh, and the Lord just started giving me this real heart to see that, you know, to see that real vibrant body life that's like then impacting its community and spreading. Uh, So around that time, the Lord kind of introduced me. Well, I had an old friend who had been kind of, well, would become a mentor of mine, but somebody was a youth minister when I was younger, a guy named Lee Price, and who's now on my team in Colorado. And uh, he was moving to Western Colorado to start a a house church, a kind of community. And within those, that time, you know, he, we started having these discussions about like, kind of what my heart was and what he was starting out to do. And so I started reading books basically about house churches, but more than house churches, uh, more about like church planting movements, right? So simple churches that are reproducing and impacting like countries, you know, uh, whole regions of the world. And so that really just, yeah, I mean, the Lord just gave me a huge heart for it. So I kind of picked up and moved to Colorado to be a part of this house church network, you know, and house churches in the States can go a couple, sometimes it's just people who are just angry, you know, and they're just angry at something that happened in the church, you know, sometimes for good reasons, but then they get together and they stew. Uh, and I would say our DNA was a lot more of kind of looking at what was happening around the world and seeing these, these simple church expressions that were multiplying rapidly. You know, that was really where we kind of came at it from and saying, Hey, we want to see that happen here. Uh, so that really was my, my kind of my intro to it. So we started doing house church stuff in Western Colorado. And within that time, the Lord started really giving me a heart for the margins, kind of people in poverty, people are forgotten, people are hurting. And that's what eventually, well, that's eventually when I got married. I met this girl, Carrie, who had the same heart. Uh, and we kind of got married and said, hey, let's do this together. And then that's why we ended up going to uh, rural Uganda, the people group we were work, working with there, uh, the GA or unreached, unengaged at the time. And so really kind of the that margins kind of forgotten side of things. But whether, you know, Western Colorado, moving to Uganda, all of it, you know, the whole thing was, hey, we want to see church expression that's really impacting its community, that's helping the hurting and then and then multiplying. And so, yeah, it took us to Uganda. Then we came back to Colorado a few about four years ago. And, you know, we took a sabbatical year. And then after that, we didn't miss a beat. You know, we just started engaging kind of the community here and on this team with all the basically those same kind of principles. Yeah, it's funny. I have an in, a similar story. I, I uh, was a youth pastor. I started reading the book of Acts and it just like screwed me up. Like, I, you know, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not being mean or, you know, anything like that. I was just like, man, I, what, what I'm seeing and what I'm reading, I, I'm not seeing the same, the same thing. And it, it started a similar trajectory in me of like, where, well, where are we seeing these things? Yeah. yeah and I really love what you had to say about the house church movement. And there's, there's really two different streams, the, the ones that are just mad at the local church. So we're going to do it on our own. And then the ones that want to see a simple church movement. But one of the things that I've noticed with the house church movement is it's wonderful. A lot of friends that are doing it, but it's still defining themselves by where they meet. Totally. Right. So instead of meeting in a building, we meet in a house. Well, you're still defining how you gather by a location. So how did you guys kind of move away from that? Or what was the thinking, you know, theologically and practice practically about kind of moving away from that? Yeah, definitely uh, see that as well. You know, we, one, I say for me personally, you know, my family being international, I think was something that really helped kind of open up some of that and was a part of kind of our journey. You know, we did a, 
we did that kind of pendulum swing, you know, where it's just like, yeah, this is going to be great. Oh, this model is the better model or whatever it is. This, this way of meeting is the better way of doing it. And then with time and, you know, the Lord like rubbing off the rough edges really came back to being like, man, I, I don't really care about the model. You know, I care about seeing these things, the kingdom spread, you know, I see multiplication, people being discipled. Uh, leaders being raised up and then them having impacts on their communities, you know, all of those things to the point where I was like, I started seeing, Hey, I actually see this happening around the world in so many different models that it's like, Hey, it's not the model. It's the Holy spirit. It's Jesus. And so, yeah, for us, I think that was definitely a personal journey. And to the point where it's like, I don't even necessarily talk about house church that much anymore. You know what I mean? It's just like, I'm, I want to talk about Jesus, you know, and it doesn't really come up all that often other than somehow I have to describe what we do, where we know how, yeah. where, I fell, where I fellowship, you know what I mean? So yeah. Like, yeah. It's a house church, you know, but sometimes I don't even want to say, cause I don't want to have to unpack all that. Cause I'm like, Hey man, your fellowship with a believer, you know, you're, you guys are going after the Holy spirit. It's like, cool. You know, I don't necessarily care that much about the form. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about this calling to Uganda. How, how did like, so you're, you're a college kid. I mean, sure. sorry. <laughs> Not offended. Then you moved to Western Colorado uh-huh. to, you know, kind of be part of this simple church. I'm assuming at this point you're working, like you have some sort of profession, vocation, and then you decide, hey, Uganda sounds good. Like, like, how does that? Yeah. <laughs> how did that happen? Yeah. Let me see if I can, like, but yeah. I was say, let me super spiritualize it all for you. Um, no, let me, let me, uh, let me try to right. So basically that in a lot of ways, you're, you just, that was it. You know, um, I was working, uh, at a coffee shop, you know, a part of that pendulum swing is like, Oh, how do I feel about clergy, man? If we don't pay clergy, then, then we can give a lot more money to the poor. And so, you know, I was working at a coffee shop doing house church stuff. Uh, I've definitely swung back on, you know, to like what I feel like is a biblical view of like, yeah, there's some people who need to get, you know, paid and taken care of and others who don't, but, Anyways, all that to say, I was working at a coffee shop, got connected to a, a Ugandan guy through a mutual friend. This mutual friend to come back and said, there's this Ugandan guy in rural Uganda who's running this children's ministry. Let's go check it out. We went and checked it out, me and a scouting team uh, from our house church network. And we said, hey, let's support this Ugandan guy. We saw two things on that trip. One, there's this Ugandan guy running an awesome children's ministry that's still running, good friend of mine, a guy named Mike. And then also we noticed that we realized that the people group outside of this village he was working in, he's not from this tribe, that they're un, they're unreached and they're unengaged with the gospel. We started doing our research and realized, yeah, they're unreached, unengaged. So the Lord gave us two things. One, to help support this Ugandan guy with his children's ministry. And then he started calling some of us to, to go full-time to engage this kind of like a pioneering work amongst the GA in the Karamoja region. So that's that's really how it came about. And we didn't lead the team by any means. We had another family that was like our team leaders. Some people had had some mission experience. And so we were underneath them. And yeah, then we ended up being there about about seven years total. So And taking over the team kind of midway through all of that. And then we were the team leaders. And yeah, it was a very intense experience. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. You mentioned a little something about your your journey with paying clergy. Oh no! <laughs> so, as with all things, there seems to be two points of the pendulum, right? Yeah. There's there's the one side with like paying clergy is evil and we shouldn't do it, and oh my gosh, if you go to a church that does, then you're evil too, you know. But yeah. then there's that other side of the pendulum, which is we only pay clergy to do ministry, and none of the rest of us do anything. Totally. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. So there's that there's that whole that whole thing. So. And and you said you've kind of come in the middle somewhere. Right. So share with us a little bit about your understanding of that. Because I think that's important whenever you talk about mission, you mm-hmm. know, going out there in the field. Like that's got to be a topic that's talked about. Definitely, you know. And and right now I'm currently, you know, I was in the States before I got married and stuff. And, and like I said, I worked coffee shops. I did, you know, jobs to pay the bills. And then, we, you know, we did ministry as well. Um, and now, you know, I'm on full support as a missionary with Novo. And so, you know, where I guess where I've swung around on that, you know, one was, that, like I said, yeah, that reaction of like, oh, we're, we could just be giving this money to the poor, basically, you know, but my, I think my, my swing back has come to this place of like, there's certain roles within the church that it makes sense for us to support as a body, because they're not going to get done otherwise, and because it deserves kind of the pay, you know, so I do think that there's, a, say, a teaching, like some, there's teachers who, man, they're so knowledgeable in God's word, which is, which is very deep and very rich, that it does make sense that we, as a body, we pay them to basically learn and help us, help us mine the riches of scripture 
Uh, and then for me as well, I'd say, you know, if I wasn't on support right now, that's the thing as I've prayed about it a lot with us being in the States, you know, we, you know, when I was in Uganda, it seemed obvious, okay, we're in a very rural region. I can't get a job here, uh, here in the States. It's like, Lord, what do you want us to do? Do you want us, you want me to get a a job or a part-time job and do ministry on the side? And the reality was, you know, as I prayed through it, talked with our kind of our supervisors about it and stuff, you know, the reality is our work would have to be throttled back. Right. So there's things that I can recognize at this point that I have a gifting in. And if, you know, if our bills aren't being paid, I'm going to not be able to do them. There, there's parts of the community I can't engage without that. And so I think there's people in the body that it makes sense for us to, to help them live and feed their family so that then we can see the kingdom grow and expand, you know, kind of kind of in that same spirit of acts, once again, where they're sharing their resources to see, you know, what does the Lord want from our community? You know, we, we just the resources are all open handed. We, we hold them kind of almost as a community. Yeah, no, that's a great, great way to put it. Thank you. So you were in Uganda, you came back, Western Colorado. And what are you doing now? What missional space you had talked about being there in Western Colorado. So what, how are you a part of bringing the kingdom now? What's going on? Yeah, I'll try and boil it down to just what we're doing because there's, the scope of what's going on in our team is actually really big. So our team's been here for like about 16 years now. We have three families on our team that are full-time missionaries. And so, man, we do a lot. It's a very mature work, I would say. And so I'll try to boil it down to really the last three years for me and my wife and our role we played on the team. You know, we really have that heart for pockets of poverty, people who are on the margins, who are forgotten, people that that are, you know, in these little pockets who are hurting and the, the church just isn't, you know, for whatever reason, engaging them with the gospel or, or with hope or anything. And so you mentioned that kind of it's an RV park. So it's an RV park where people live permanently. I don't know if, it, you know, if your listeners have been familiar with this, or, but it happens around the country, but it's just, you know, people get stuck and they're stuck in a little camping trailer, an RV trailer, and they're paying. Some of these families have been there for years. Uh, we got families in tents. We have families that come through in tents. So it's really the edge of homelessness. And then I have a trailer park that I actually live in and we work in. I'd say the trailer park is, you know, is one step up the economic ladder. It's a lot more kind of working class and um, and stuff like that. So it's a little bit different kind of ministry context. And to think about kind of the work we do, we do what we call prayer care share. So those are kind of this is a snazzy way of kind of talking about the, the beginning of the way we engage a community. So everything starts with prayer. We're, we just even prayer of like listening, hey, where in our community is the Lord highlighting for us? That's how we, you know, we identified these two places. And then when then we're big at covering those spaces in prayer, we do a lot of prayer walking, walking around, praying from trailer to trailer, house to house, uh, praying for people. Hey, can I pray for you? Laying hands on people, praying for them, even when they're, they, we don't have a relationship or we've just met them. And then out of that, we're looking for, man, how do we build relationships in these places? That's the care piece of prayer, care, share. I mean, it could just be, you know, just having a conversation with somebody. It could be playing basketball. In the RV park, we throw a big meal that's not like soup kitchen, but more like picnic. Like, let's all get together. We eat. We do provide the food, but we just all get together and kind of hang out and build those relationships. Because we've found, especially in kind of these post-Christian Western places like the United States that we got to do prayer and care before we can get to share because we got to build that relational equity. Everything is so relational that if I just show up and I start dropping Jesus on you, you're coming with all of these preconceived notions and all, it can be detrimental. But if I've been there, I've been praying in your community, we've, I've been, you've seen that I care for you. Then when I start talking about Jesus, your ears are open, you know? So that's that after we're kind of caring or building relationships and we move into to share. So we do a lot of discovery Bible study. I mean, we invite people into discovery Bible study, a lot of non-believers. That's what we do. So, Hey, let's get together. Let's do a, a discovery Bible study. Dan, does, are your listeners familiar with discovery Bible study? I think some are, but I would say it would be something good to talk about, especially in the sense of like how you guys do it. Like totally. maybe it would be a way, way to learn. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, our thing is like, we're hanging out, we're doing this picnic or I'm out playing basketball or whatever. We're looking for those people who are spiritually open or curious being, uh, I think uh, there's an author, David Watson, who wrote a really great book. And I think he calls it uh, being conspicuously Christian. So it's just being open with who we are. And in that process, then we're looking for people who are curious or open. And then when they are, we say, hey, we do this Bible. I do these Bible studies for people who don't, who are believers. Yeah, you might not be a Christian, but maybe you're just curious what the Bible says or whatever. And we'll read a passage and we'll ask the questions. It's real simple and nobody's preaching at you. So, and that's basically it. We get together, we do those, we do stories from Jesus's life. And then we, we ask the same questions every week, like within, after the first or second week, I start handing those questions off. I'm just kind of a member here who's helping facilitate, but I give, I hand that off to other, to even like non-believers. They're leading the Bible study by week three. And so that it's not really based around me, but it's really gathered around scripture. We're trusting God, like the word, 
the Holy Spirit to really reveal uh, who the Lord is to people's hearts. And then the whole, you know, the whole vision is those non-believers become a group of new believers. So we do a lot of that. That's what I spend a lot of my time doing. That's kind of your early work. We have other stuff in our region. That's then the next kind of few phases where we do have a place we're going. We're not seeing that in our kind of spaces yet. So where we're going then is we want to raise up leaders out of those groups. You know, the people who are sharing it with other people facilitating, it's like, we want them to be able to start their own group really soon. Like if they come and say, I got a buddy who wants to come to this. You're like, yeah, great, dude, start your own. And you've already been leading it here, you know, so it'll be really easy. So when we start seeing that, then we want to raise those leaders up where we're discipling them one-on-one. For us in kind of these pockets of poverty, that means like holistically. And like I said, everything's relational. So it's like, man, what do you need? You know, are you struggling with addiction? Let's get you into a recovery program. How do you love your family well? How do you uh, hold down a job? And also, how do you grow as a follower of Jesus? And then out of that, you know, we want to see our DBSs. We see new expressions of church. So sometimes in other missional spaces, you know, we'll have these DBSs become little little church expressions, you know, and then we'll kind of bring them in. It's The cool thing is we've got this house church network. So it's like, hey, they just kind of become a house church, but we have leadership and structure and support and those types of things. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the approach we go about. Can I share a story about one of our families? Please, dude. Yeah. That kind of, I feel like, like kind of encapsulates it. So in the RV park, you know, I, I prayer walk a lot, you know, ideally on a, on a weekly basis. And so, you know, I'm out there prayer walking every week and th- there's this guy that I get to know. And he's maybe in his early 70s. And he, after getting to kind of talk with him a little bit, I found that, you know, he's done a lot of prison time and he's a little bit, uh, what's the word? You know, he's a can be standoffish. You know, the first time, one of the first times I'm walking around and I'm, I'm getting to know him, I'm like, I invite him to the Discovery Bible study, like in that same kind of way. Like, hey, you want to come to this thing? And as an answer, before he says anything, we, he just hops into, he asks me this question. He says, what is it you call those people who go to other countries and tell them what to believe? And I'm like, oh, I think you're talking about missionaries and it sounds like, sounds like you're not very big on them. And so I'm like, I'm like missionaries? And he's like, yes, where do they get the right? You know, and he starts going off on missionaries. And so I'm just like, oh, this dude is upset. Like, I'm like, I have offended him by asking him a Bible study. And I'm there with my, with uh, a, another guy that uh, we've been training and raising up a really great uh, friend of mine. And uh, we're both kind of like wide eyed, like, oh, he's, oh, this is awkward. Uh, but then right at the end, he's like, but I like you guys. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he's like, you, you guys just, just come out here and just love on us. I'm like, I'm like, okay, yeah, cool, dude. He never responded about the Bible study. He didn't come at that time to Bible study, you know. But I was like, okay, that was intense. But then with time, he, he started coming to uh, one, of our, one of these Bible studies. And, you know, and he's a kind of a harder guy. So, you know, what you would picture somebody who's done a lot of years in prison, but is older now, you know, and. So every one of our questions we ask at the Bible study is, hey, what are we thankful for? It's one of the first questions to kind of start off. With. And this guy, every week for a while, he just start crying. And he say, I'm thankful for this group. He's like, I, I haven't been a part of something. He told me I haven't been invited to be in something in, in over 20 years. So he's, just, he's, he's wow. so lonely. Kind of like fast forward, you know, and that was, this is all over. I mean, I first met this guy probably two and a half years ago. So it's just kind of this slow process. Okay, now he's a part of this, this Bible study. That one kind of fizzled because the main person got evicted from the RV park. Next, later on, I'm in doing another Bible study with this guy and his wife in their trailer, you know. And uh, so we're in there. They're all chain smoking. It's a smoky affair through the whole winter this last year. And I just kept thinking, this isn't going anywhere. They have all these health problems. They, they're pretty closed off to kind of the Bible. And like every time we'd go through the Word, they wouldn't be able to understand what the, the story was. They had these like these big disconnects. I'm like, they're not getting any of this. And I just kind of kept at it almost as a spiritual discipline of visiting the sick because they have these health issues and they're, they're lonely. But then eventually it got to this point where this summer we're still doing our DBS and some stuff had come up in their life. It was He got diagnosed with lung cancer this day. They thought they had ghosts in their trailer. There's all this like spiritual, physical stuff going on. And eventually I'm just able to like use all of that to just lay out the kind of the gospel. You know, we start talking about the Holy Spirit and Jesus and repentance and forgiveness of sins, all of this stuff. And they get to this point of like, this is what we want. We want this. And the wife says that at first and she'd been more open in the past. So I turned to the husband. I'm like, Hey man, how about you? And he's like, yes, this is exactly what I want. So we all pray together. And this guy says, Hey, in the middle of his prayer, you know, I'm kind of just giving him some prompts or whatever. And they're just praying their own words. And eventually he just says, Jesus, I just want you right here next to me. And so that was it, man. They gave their lives to the Lord that day. We get up, 
we're all crying and like you know there's yeah this smoky trailer and and uh it's just cool because it's like that was it you know it was prayer it was it was carrying on like loving on them and then sharing to the point where they man they they received it now we do bible study and it's like this last week man they got the story like they just got it you know like they get it the lord's just given them kind of understanding for the word they're applying it to their lives i mean it's cool and it's really stinking messy but it's really cool you know so that's kind of a picture of what we do does that make sense no, that's fabulous. I have about 37,000 questions. <laughs> All really good questions. Yeah. No, I love it. Uh, praise the Lord for what he's doing with that guy. Yeah. The first one I thought about was like, it's a slow burn, isn't it? Like, it's not an invite to a church service and then, you know, they hear a 20 minute pep talk and, you know, come to know Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, having done international stuff as well, I feel like it's slower here. It's slower than my experience internationally. Like you're saying, it's that slow burn. And some of it's working through maybe baggage. It's our culture. It's the way people have interacted with the church. I have another lady who gave her life to the Lord last year. Really beautiful story. I won't share another long story. But for her, one of the biggest hangups in the beginning was that, you know, she'd had this really rough experience with a church when her husband had, had died, had, well, had committed suicide. And it was this horrible experience with the church. And so she's like, I'm never going back into a church ever. You know, and so we, we're dealing with all of these things. So it is, it's a long, that's one of the things that's like hopeful about that story, but it's sobering with both of those stories really. But you know, the guy, the one I just shared with this guy who had done prison time is it's encouraging, so encouraging because like, you know, angels are rejoicing in heaven over these, this couple, it's unbelievable. And it's like, that gives me fuel to keep going for years. The, the hard part is like, yeah, and it was two and a half years. So it's like when, for that family that you're walking with, that's like, man, I've been walking with these guys for six months. It's like, yeah, strap in, buddy. You know, it's like it could be a couple more yeah. years. You know? And it's messy, right? And it's, it's messy. So, like oh you're God. sitting in a, a smoke-filled trailer. Like that's very different than the prayer room on the side of the sanctuary. It is. Right? With the fake flowers. It is, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like it's it's different. And, and so I think sometimes people just need to be, I don't know, reminded and encouraged that, you know, the people that need us to be on mission, it's messy and it's slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's messy and it's slow. So you, how did you come? Like, why the RV park? Why the the fifth wheel? Why why the trailer park? I, there's, I mean, I'm assuming in your area poverty is everywhere, like like everywhere else, mm-hmm. right? How did you come across, you know, deciding on this particular missional space? So I think my question is is twofold here. What is your understanding of a missional space? And then how do you settle on that? Um, the reason I ask this is so often when, you know, Kristen and I are talking to people like, there are so many places that need Jesus in all of our lives, okay. right? Like our neighborhood, our work, our family, everywhere. But I can't bring it to every space. So how, how do you kind of hone in on that one? What, what is your understanding of that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really wise question, I think, because the reality is, is it depends on our gifting for sure. And also we do have to be careful that we're giving the right space, the right amount of time, because it takes a lot of time. So if I'm trying to be everything to everybody, it won't, it's not really helpful to anybody. Right. So first off, kind of the first part of your question with missional space. So, uh, you know, we, we, yeah, we will say missional space. We throw it around. I hate throwing around, around like Christian jargon all the time, but it does come out of my mouth. Uh, so we say, we say <laughs> missional space, uh, and for us, you know, we're just thinking of like any affinity group or any, any group of people that are naturally going to be together. And so it's, it's not, in some ways it's not a nice term because we don't actually always mean a physical space. So somebody, or a family on our team, they really engage the school district. So we call that the school district, their missional space, but it's this really like nebulous missional space because it you know geography wise it covers our entire area but it's a it's a network of teachers and students you know and, and administrators and so for ours ours just happen to be two neighborhoods that are geographically like kind of near to each other geographically like encased and so the idea is though that they'll have relational networks within there because you know in, in the states especially we're not a big homogenous culture where everybody knows everybody of course and so you know we've got these kind of uh, silos or these little groups of people and it's it's all about relational networks and we want to see the gospel spread across those relational networks so a workplace can be one a school campus can be one or uh, an rv park especially if people have relationships already um, so that's kind of missional space for us we identify those you know the really the the ideal answer is just the leading of the holy spirit 
right? You know, that we would be so open that it could be outside of our wheelhouse and we would go wherever the Lord says. Also, I know my strengths, you know, and my natural inclinations. And so I naturally tend towards these pockets of poverty and like and the hurting because that's just kind of where my heart is. And now I also also have experience now at this point of dealing with that kind of group part of the population. So I've got all these resources kind of in my back pocket that make it make it make sense. So for instance, right now, I've got a couple more missional spaces that are kind of in my brain that are out there that I'm praying about what is my next one. And so that's like, I'm identifying them because I'm like, I got a heart for them naturally. I've got two hotels in our area where people are living permanently. You got families in these hotel rooms for months at a time. I've got two of those. And then I've got some, a couple of other trailer parks as well that I really say, you know, I'm seeing, Hey, nobody's engaging there. So now I take that back to the Lord and say, Lord, is this, is this for me to engage and kind of try and sit and listen uh, to his leading in that. Does that make sense? Does that kind of answer your questions? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that one of the things that doesn't get talked about often enough in, in terms of evangelism and strategies are relational networks. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't get talked about. Um, and that's one of the primary ways that you see the early church, kind of the, the, the gospel like a virus just spreading. And so people, all people like you and I, we're already part of relational networks. You don't need to go find one. <laughs> You're already part of totally. like three or four. So now that's really, really helpful. Tell me a little bit about... So you have prayer, care, and share. Mm-hmm. And care is that relational dynamic. And you decided that let's kind of throw, for lack of a better term, like a block party kind of kind of thing. Let's get together. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you looking for? How are you identifying spiritually curious people? Is it just kind of a, I'll ask everybody? <laughs> and then, you know, it's like a numbers game. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, is there something else? And then how are you asking them to these DBSs, you know, kind of, could you share a little bit more about that transition from care to share? Yeah. As individuals who are doing this full time, you know, I think about this all the time. And so it might be a little bit different for somebody, you know, because our whole goal, kind of like you were mentioning earlier in the podcast, you know, the whole hope, right, is, is the body engaging the community. And I feel like I play this specific role as somebody who's, who's gifted and has a heart to really cross a lot of cultural lines to do that. Um, so it might be a little bit different for me than others. One is I'm, I'm naturally an evangelist. So I feel really comfortable walking around my neighborhood, seeing somebody and saying, hey, I'm out here praying for our neighborhood. Is there something I can pray for you for? Mm. Which I, I love to do that. In my neighborhood, this is the difference between our two our missional spaces. In my trailer park I live in, I've gotten so many no's. People are just like, no. No. One time I had talking to a guy, I, uh, a young man I know, a teen who had, I'd built a relationship with already. And I'm like, we're talking about what's going on in his life. And I'm like, well, hey, man, is there anything I'd be praying for you for? And then his dad didn't even know it was outside. He was like on the porch around the corner. He's like, no, we don't need prayer. So a lot of, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of like walls are up. Um, yeah. Whereas in the RV park, there's a lot of felt physical need where people are just struggling and they know it. And I've never gotten a no out there. And so anyways, that's a side note to say, you know, I naturally being an evangelist, I'll just do that. I'll just be kind of more in your face. Can I pray for you? And then when people are open to that, then I'll just say, yeah, we do this thing. And I'll start talking. I'll just go right into the thing about discovery Bible studies at the meals. Similarly, a real common thing for us here, for me, when I'm doing like that, like we're out here in the picnic doing this picnic thing, people be like, why are you doing this? And then I just use that as an opportunity. Yeah. You know, we're, that's actually, you know, a big thing that I like to do, like to help people like to connect with people and uh, we want people to to know about Jesus and I'll just go in, into it. So that's my personal way of doing it. I'm a lot more kind of like in your face and that comes, I recognize kind of more out of a gifting. And so what I've seen other people maybe who are less aggressive or nat- less naturally open than that is a lot, is, is a softer, like build that relationship a little bit longer to the point where then they do. But at some point, it can be uncomfortable. At some point, you do just have to... That's why one thing I do like about Discovery Bible Study, right, is you're not... It, it's something you're inviting them to. Hey, this is something I think would be fun. Would you want to do this with me? And it's... I don't know. I think that I, I've found that people who are less evangelistic still being able to do that. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. It's, a, it's an easier... It's an easier invite, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like uh, asking the girl to coffee versus will you go to the prom? You know, it's like, one's a big jump, right? Uh, <laughs> the other one's uh, easy. Yeah. Or maybe they both said no to you, Andrew. I don't know. I got no um, either way. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so 
that's really great. You, you've got these stories. You're, you're doing that kind of stuff. Now, if we were to just to step back a little bit, and can you share with me maybe some of your theological understandings of mission, like the priesthood of all believers, and you know, just kind of what your understanding of that is? Well, yeah. How mission and the priesthood of all believers all interact, those two kind of concepts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a huge question. You know, like you said earlier in the podcast about practitioners, I'm probably a good practitioner person to talk to. I'm not the theologian, right? So I don't, I, I'm the guy that's like, let's just go out and talk, start talking to people. So this could be a horrible answer, all that to say. Um, not not that's being fine. a theologian, but but from my standpoint, as like a like somebody who's just like ready to roll and hang out with people, you know, I see, I think mission and the priesthood of the believer and the reason maybe we don't see as much missional heart sometimes in our in our bodies of believers to me, a lot of it comes back to like, well, just how, what's our, our health like in general, our spiritual health? Like, where are we with the Lord? Like, do we have, is our, like, are we living out of the priesthood of the believer in general? Like, do we have a body of believers? Like, you can, you know, we can ask this, like, in our churches or in our small groups. Like, what's our health like? Are we, are we connecting with the Lord? Are we in the word? Are we, are we cultivating just that heart for the Lord and then living the kingdom as a, as a group? And if you are, I feel like then you start to see mission happen naturally and not necessarily in the boxes we picture it happening right because we, we have this like oh i should do like more like what i do like i should be an evangelist i should like be able to go tell people about jesus on the street that type of thing but i feel like when when the bible talks about the kingdom being like yeast in dough then to me it's like okay well are we just living out the kingdom in our daily lives are we doing those things in the kingdom where we're loving each other well taking care of each other are we loving the poor well do we have a vibrant, intimate relationship with Jesus that's that's kind of seeping into everything we do and therefore showing the kingdom kind of to the outside world? I got a, a story comes to mind when I think about this, about kind of how it can look different. Like we're not all evangelists like me, right? So in Uganda, in that same village that I shared that story from, we had a, you know a, a core group of people who really just gave their lives to the Lord and were ready to go after it. And we're doing these story these stories, these Bible stories, storytelling in a way that was reproducible so that then this core group of people could then just share the stories with their neighbors, you know? And our whole hope is like, man, let's let everybody be able to share these stories. And we started recognizing that some people are sharing the kingdom in different ways. So one was an elder, a guy named Fidele. And so he was horrible at sharing. He was a great at coming up with the stories and like crafting it into like making sense and being a really beautiful story. But then he, he was really horrible at sharing it outside the group, but he would pray for his family members when they got sick. And as opposed to what was common, which was take somebody to the medicine man or the, you know, the witch doctor. And so he would pray for his relatives to the point where then everybody in the village, he's an elder. So he's respected. Everybody started bringing all their sick to him and he would pray over them and say, Jesus has all the power, right? These uh, witch doctors don't have the power. Jesus has all the power. Let me pray for them and they can get well. And so he started doing like this, like prayer over the sick ministry naturally out of his, he's a kind of a natural shepherd, natural elder of the village. So that just happened naturally. But then you had this other young guy who his name is Locham, who he was great at sharing the stories. We'd make the stories up. He would take them out. He'd go take them to these like warriors who are like this, these guys who would go raid cattle and stuff. They're really rough. They just live with the cows. He'd go out there and he'd be telling them about Jesus. And he'd come back with these stories. Oh yeah, I ran into a guy once, you know, one of my great stories for me there is I'm under the tree once and some guy walks up and he's like, I'm with you guys. I'm like, I don't know what I with you guys means. It's all in the local language. And I'm like, what do you mean? He basically is like, I'm a believer. I'm like, what's going on? Who are you? And he's like, oh yeah, Locham's been sharing the stories with me. So he was just kind of that pure natural evangelist. I have these stories, I'm gonna go tell people. And then you had a third person, uh, this gal Maria, who never shared the stories, but she was super hospitable. So like when this, this sick kid needed a place to stay, she helped build him a hut and bring him food. And all three of them were really expressing the kingdom. And we're singing the kingdom grow. And people come to know Jesus out of all those different expressions, but it looks a little bit different for every person. Uh, and so it's really, I feel like really pressing into like the fullness of who God's created people to be. And so it might not, you know, it's not this like, man, we got to get everybody to, to really be on the corner preaching, but it's like, man, let's let you really grow into the fullness of who God created you to be. And it's going to be a natural outflow. Like you're living in a, in a community, right? So it's like that we call it near neighbor missionality. Everybody can have that near neighbor missionality with just the people you already interact with, where the kingdom is so alive in you and in your community that it's seeping out of you into your your relationships at work and, and school or whatever. Does that, make, does that make sense? No, I think you bring up a great point that I often don't think about is it's like mission is, is best done as a team. Mm. 
you know, as, as a group of people, like we are going to reach this neighborhood. Totally. We are going to go for the poor. We are going to reach this relational network. And the thing that popped in my mind as you were talking is like, maybe this makes sense of why there's not so much mission happening in the church. And the mission that is happening is rather ineffective in terms of we have an individualized Christianity, mm. which leads to individualized evangelism. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Right. And so what you see kingdom wise is a communal Christianity, which leads to a communal mission. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that really, really is a good way to describe it. You know, I think of, of the RV park as well. Like, yeah, we felt like the Lord really highlighted this as a missional space. I kind of explained all the ways we engaged it. But then when it comes to these meals we do once a week, then I started bringing in, hey, I've talked to people in the body in all these different expressions, not one church, right? We've got our house church network. I've got other traditional churches. I've got a messianic group. All these people that at different times we've had conversations with, and I realized they have a heart for their community and they don't know how to plug in. And I started plugging them into these meals. Hey, could your group make a meal once a month and then come out and hang out with us? So it's them kind of doing what they can do, which is making the meal, and then plugging them into a place to do that next to the lost. And it's been really stinking cool. So my messianic group, man, they're, they've done really great. And one of the guys from that group, he does a lot of physical stuff for that neighborhood now. He just built uh, stairs for one of our elderly for actually that mm. they, the family just gave their life to the Lord. He built stairs for them. Uh, I got another group that's a Spanish-speaking church. They're awesome. We have a good Spanish-speaking population out there. And they, uh, they've they got a gal on there from their church that's just really good at being in the home. So she goes out there and she goes and she talks to these kids in their trailers about Jesus. I mean, and so it's like they're all a little bit different and they kind of needed a catalyst. They kind of needed somebody like me who could do that weird work. The weird like prayer walking in a new neighborhood, the weird like going to an RV park owner and saying, hey, bro, can I start a picnic even though I don't live here? You know, like I, I because that's the stuff I excel at. But they were they've been because I can if I'm doing my job well, then they're able to plug in. They couldn't have done all of those things, but they can build stairs. They can go in and teach, you know, talk to kids about Jesus and things like that. Does Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think that the way you expressed mm -hmm. it as a body, I think mm -hmm. it's really key. Yeah, you know, you also bring up that term catalyzer, and I think that Hirsch, uh, Alan Hirsch, really probably has said it most eloquently is, is in the local church, we've kicked out the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist. Or if we haven't kicked him out, like we definitely don't give him a place at the table. And those are the ones that are the catalyzers, right? Like, like we're going to go out and take new ground. I think that might be another part of why we're not seeing it is they don't have a place. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of your experience as well like you know i i kind of don't blend into the local church i don't fit yeah i i think that's that's true in some ways it's that getting permission right you know it's like man as a body we got to give permission to those people who are not fitting to kind of go after i got to give some credit to the local churches in our area in western colorado so we're you know we're about they say one out of five people here are believers or kind of professing christians or so like four-fifths non-christians so we don't have a huge Therefore, our church is kind of overwhelmed, I feel like, with the need around us. So that can be always a part about it. When you're in a place that's hard, all of a sudden those lines and differences start to fade, right? That's what we notice mm. on the mission field. If we're in a place where it's hard and nobody's like receiving the gospel, all of a sudden the mission teams are like totally okay to work together. And you start to see these beautiful expressions. But then it's like when we get saturated and we've got a lot of churches, sometimes we start competing for people. All that to say in our area, I can only say great things about the traditional expression, all these different expressions. The Spanish-speaking church, we've got people across different denominations. And they've all been real supportive and really kingdom minded to say, yeah, we love what you're doing. Let's all partner together. And so I, I've seen that happen at times where people with like my wiring or our wiring kind of get pushed aside and they don't know what to do. But I can say around us, there's maybe enough need that people are like, hey, I kind of like this. How can we work together? And we're starting to see a lot of cool kind of what's that word like us. Uh, when they, synergy. That's the word I was looking for. I was going to say symbiotic, but I think you win. Oh, there yeah. you go. Like synergy. Like yeah, it. there you go. Yeah. Tell me a little bit, Andrew, what do you think are some of the barriers? I mean, we've talked about a few, right? But maybe some of the barriers that people face individually and corporately that keep them from mission. Mm, yeah. I think I mentioned that before, that personal and corporate spiritual health you know, like we got to be healthy spiritually first off. That kind of, we talk about it a lot. We probably, still, I'm sure we, we steal everything from everybody. We just, so I'm probably stole this from somebody, but this idea that our doing comes out of our being, 
right? Like we got to mm. be, we got to have our identity right. We got to be with the Lord before doing can come out, but we can't just get stuck in like our own stuff and without flowing out. So our being comes out of doing. So, you know, our, our, our corporate expressions healthy, our personal expressions healthy. And if not, let's, let's get healthy. I, I, I felt that this past, like literally three weeks ago. So this isn't me like throwing anybody else under the bus about three weeks ago. I was just feeling pretty burned out. Started taking stock of myself, man, I, my prayer times have been low. My physical rhythms have not been healthy. My, I'm not healthy. Therefore I can't pour out, you know? So I think that's kind of key first off is like not a theology issue. It's a relationship issue. How's our relationship with Jesus and with each other? I think sharing these stories that untie maybe preconceived notions of what sharing the gospel has to look like, you know, I think Mm -hmm. is is helpful, kind of demystifying it. Uh, We were at a cowboy church. Another thing we do from time to time to mention it, you know, other than bringing local churches into what we do, we'll also partner with local churches by kind of getting in there on a Sunday and talking about what we do or sharing a vision, how that congregation can be missionally. So I was at, we, uh, we had this cowboy church. Cowboy Church of Meeker, Colorado, who's like, hey, we want you guys to come in and talk about what you do. Not just talk about what you do, but really help our congregation be missional. So we did it two Sundays a month apart, came in and talked about basically how to, how to share with their neighbors. So they want to share with their neighbors. And so, you know, a lot of that was just demystifying. Like you don't have to have all the right words, kind of that encouragement. It, be intimately close with the Lord and then let that flow out onto other people. You don't have, to have the right answers all the time. And then, yeah, like you said, it can look like all these other things. It can look like just having your friends over for, for dinner. It can look like playing basketball. You can look at the things you already like to do, um, but making sure you're doing them intentionally. I think the church building in our culture now is not a good mechanism for evangelism, I think. That's just my personal opinion at this point. I think it's different if you're in a different culture. Different cultures are different in this way. But for instance... Those two people, the gal who was really hurt by the church, the the guy who did the time in prison, neither one of them, you know, would would have come with me to a Sunday morning service if I invited them. I think at this point in our post-Christian culture, this idea that we can use the church building for evangelism, just invite your friend to church, and then the church will do all the evangelism for you, I think is, I don't think works anymore. I think it worked when it was culturally like, okay, that everybody kind of goes to church, but people aren't really believers. Does that make sense? You know, totally. Yeah. And so I think we need to untie some of that and just, we got to build relationships and know how to hang out with people who don't know Jesus. And then the other thing that I think is sometimes we got to just we got to run with the people who want to run. We got to work with people who want to build Jesus's kingdom and not their own kingdom. If somebody's just in the like in the church or whatever or, or you've got a group who's just they want to build their own kingdom, we at this point I just say, "Hey, you know what? Bless you do your thing, but we're not going I'm not going to spend much time working with them." Man, we got to look for those people who want to see the kingdom grow and aren't that concerned about their own kingdom, whatever denomination, whatever church name. If they just want to see people come to know Jesus and the kingdom grow, those are the people we got to run with. And we got to be okay that like not everybody's going to be there, but we're not, probably not going to put time to hanging out with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, totally. Thank you. Last thing, give our listeners some word of wisdom, encouragement, exhortation for them, and maybe the Lord's stirring on their heart. Like, yeah, I, I, I want to do this for my neighborhood, or you know, I man, my heart just so burdened for people that are you know trafficked or right. you know the poor in my community. Like, what's your word of encouragement for just the everyday Joe and Mary that want to start some sort of their own creative expression of the gospel? Yeah, my first word of advice. Well, okay, I guess my first word of advice should be pray. I was about to say something else. Pray. Spend that time with the Lord. Make sure that that's from the Lord. You kind of clear on that. You know, you're not just dis- doing out of like some sort of discontent or something like that. But really pray and get that from the Lord, like you said. So that is first. And then my advice is do it. Go after it. Just do it. It's not going to be perfect. It's probably going to be messy. But get going on it. But don't do it alone. You know, learn from people who've gone before you, right? So you know, whatever you're doing, somebody else has probably done something like it, right? So let's learn. Like learn. Look for resources. Look for books. Look for mentors. Uh, who you can, you know, they might, you know, this is 2021, you know, you can zoom anybody in the world at this point. So find somebody who's done it and look for somebody who's going to walk with you as a mentor and work, look for people to walk together because it's a, it can be a lonely road. I think that's something we've learned more than anything is you gotta, you gotta have, you want good people with you on the road. And I recognize sometimes you're alone, man. Sometimes there's just, you feel like there's nobody around you who's got this same thing. And you're just like, what in the world is happening? And I, my heart breaks for those people because I know that that's a lonely place to be. I'd say reach out, reach out to people like Dan and me, you know, or anybody where you see like they're going after it so that you can have people to do it. So you're not doing it alone because you're going to hit 
you're excited right now. The Lord's going to totally use that. And you're going to hit like really hard times within all of that. Cause it's a long road. Like, you know, could be two and a half years until you're your first kind of, you know, person to really respond or whatever, you know, there's this uh, book that John Perkins and Shane Claiborne did together uh, about leadership and uh, within there, Shane Claiborne, uh, and I don't want to get in. I don't. I don't know what I think about these people. I'm not like putting any sort of stamp of approval on any of these guys. <laughs> by the way, but I thought it was interesting. Shane Claiborne was uh, sitting on the steps and he was discouraged or something. And John Perkins was like, "What's going on?" And the guy, you know, Shane Claiborne was talking about being discouraged about lack of fruit in this area they were dealing in. And John Perkins, who's dealt in in a lot of areas for a lot of long periods of time, said, "Hey, you know, you got to wait 12 years." for working in a new neighborhood to really have your first kind of disciple. And that just kind of reframes like, okay, what your faithfulness looks like. Because faithfulness for us doesn't look like converts, people becoming believers. Faithfulness looks like being faithful to what Jesus called us to do and being present. So that was a long answer to say like, there can be discouraging days, so you don't want to do it alone. You go with Jesus, but also go with uh, other believers who can do this together and and do it, man. All those those kind of examples you said need it. There's so many places out there, you know, like like I said, just around us, we found RV parks, we found places where people are just not engaged. There's so many places where the lost are not being engaged. So so go after it. Uh, thank you, man. Hey, if someone wanted to zoom you, <laughs> yeah, zoom me and just hear more about your story, or how would they get in contact with you? That's a great question. I don't really know. You can probably go to the Pioneering Initiatives website. Would probably be okay. a place to do that. Yeah, yeah, and then get your email and. Mm-hmm. Go from there. We'll put it. Is is it okay if we put your email in the show notes? You can put my email in the show notes. Okay. All right. Just, so just anybody email me if you want to talk. If you've got some great giveaways you want me to enter into. <laughs> <laughs> Any grants that I can <laughs> sign up for? Oh, I like yeah. That. yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> what I'm going to get is all the, the what, what, like sweepstakes that I need to enter into. That's what it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us, but certainly appreciate it. I am so encouraged by just your story and you're the, you know, I just got to say this to end up. You're the exact person we wanted to talk to. <laughs> Thanks. Just a, you know, just a practitioner, man, who's just out there bringing Jesus, you know, and excited about it. Like, so thank you so much for sharing. I, I'm so, so excited. With that being said, Thanks for joining us for this episode of Only on a Sunday. Next time, we will continue our conversation with Brian Johnson from the Kansas City Underground. If you've enjoyed the content offered on these podcasts and would like to support us on our team and our team, uh, we would like to invite you to donate at the scvunderground.org. We truly appreciate any support from our listeners. And thanks again for joining us. And we will see you next time. Adios. Adios.